Welcome to the Journey of an Aesthete podcast, a comprehensive examination of all things aesthetic, the arts, the humanities, and what it means to be human. Amanda Maciel Andrunes. Hi. Hi, Mitch. How are you? Good. Um, welcome to Journey of an Esthete. Um, Thank you. I'm, I'm really honored to have you on the show uh, for, for many reasons, more than one reason. Uh, you are a multi-talented artist who uh, does, works in many different mediums and has lived in more than one country and has accomplished an enormous amount in a short period of time. And so I, I wondered if you, if you would uh, mind discussing some of this. Yeah. Happy to, happy to talk right. about it. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to play you some music to start off the show, if okay. you don't mind. I'm, I'm at my piano. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm at my piano here, and this is a little something that you might recognize, all right? <laughs> Wonderful. So Thank you know, you. I wrote that. I wrote that piece for you. Remember? I do remember. remember that? Actually, one of the things I was thinking about when we lived in Boston at the same time is yep. one of my favorite things in the world was to come listen to you play. Well, thank you. But that, you that was so special. I guess yeah. the origin of that piece was a. Uh, um, well, I mean, I sort of knew you were going to move, right? And you had been there a number of years, and you were going to leave. I think it's it's about you leaving. Uh, so I think in yeah. the title it says Dhamma, 
Because that's what we called you, right? So you, so because you were, mm-hmm. so how many Amandas did we know? We knew four or five Amandas, right? Well, there were three Amandas mainly. <laughs> well, I knew really well. I knew two other Amandas, so it yeah. was the, the trio, the, the Amanda trio. trio for that's right. for a little while. Um, there were some of my very good friends in Boston. Yeah, yeah, that was a beautiful time. I mean, that's I I know you from Boston, so I should make that clear. But you have these these other lives in Brazil. And now in Los Angeles, yeah. California. So the other Amandas would have been yeah. a, a Duguay Forrester, Amanda Duguay. And then mm-hmm. there was... And Amanda Williams. Amanda Williams, who we called Scout after To Kill a Mockingbird, right? I guess we have yes. these, these nicknames to, to keep everybody... everybody, everybody. So how, how we all know each other is because of love of vintage clothing, right? It was the love of vintage clothing. I mean, yeah. all three of us worked at a a vintage clothing store in Boston and you you would come in pretty often. Yeah. And we started talking, yes. So I guess it was because of Amy Berkowitz. Uh, who, who it was, was because of Amy Berkowitz. Yeah. Right, who's no I mean, longer we could with say us. that, yeah. She was yeah. a she was she always brought people together. Yeah. <laughs> she was really good at that. She was a remarkable yeah. I miss her greatly and I think about her every week and because uh, 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 it's amazing to me. because uh, she and I would have been exactly the same age. Literally the same age because yeah. I'm fi- I'm 52. That's now. right. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and 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 of course uh, she she's she's she was gone due to cancer. And then mm-hmm. of course um, your career exploded at that time because you were doing all these uh, wardrobe for all these productions, plays, and musicals. Yeah. And I think uh, I remember the first show you did wardrobe uh, for would have been Annie Baker's play, The Flick. Yeah, I was nominated that at the same time as we're doing the show. That's yeah, fantastic. Pretty special play. So that's a that's a that's a shout out to uh, for uh, Annie Baker, who's a wonderful playwright, and her play The oh, Flick. Yeah. Her play The Flick, yeah. which is such a beautiful uh, about these people Honestly, in this movie. That that, that yeah. script. When I read it, I felt so. It, I I don't know that I have read a better script in my life yet. It hmm. was. It had something. Um, she's such an amazing storyteller. Um which is what I relate to in so many, you know, genres of my work. Yeah. I'm yeah. interested in storytelling and how to tell that really well to an yeah. audience. And she, I think she's a master of it. She is. I mean, she's a, I, that's a kind of play I could see more than once. Yeah. I could watch it more than once. Um, and so, but to, getting back to stories, you have a story. So usually on my show, I start off with <laughs> I start off with what I call a linear chronology, just to have a, mm-hmm. a, an idea of A and B and C in kind of linear order, and then yeah. under the under the uh, theory that if we start linear, we could become nonlinear as we go, and things will start to sprout and and give birth that things that don't match that p- game plan. So we start with a okay. game plan, and then the game plan will maybe need to change or be deconstructed as we yeah. go along. So do you mind talking about your, 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 your journey travel from Brazil growing up where you did in Brazil and then ending up in Boston, Massachusetts of all things in 2008 or 2000. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, talk, if you don't mind a little bit about that, that. Um, no, I don't mind. So I, I grew up in um, the countryside of Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about three hours away from Sao Paulo. So I lived in a small village um, it's a place where you can walk around no matter what time of the day and everyone knows you and you know who everyone is. Um, and it's, 
you know, it, it was a little, I never quite belonged there. I never quite felt that I could do what I wanted to do. Um, so by the time I turned 15, even though I had grown up next to my family and we were all lived within walking distance from each other, mm-hmm. um, I asked if I could apply for a study abroad program. I wanted to go somewhere else. Um, and I was at the time studying with, and I had a teacher that I, I, I'm probably going to mention her because she kind of inspired me with the idea of going abroad. She found a program for me and said I should have applied. And, and I did. And then um, when I applied, my parents didn't know necessarily that I was going to follow through with it. I didn't really have money to travel anyway, so I would have to ask my parents to go. And they didn't, they couldn't pay for me to come, but then my grandmother um, helped me get here. Mm. She, she's the one who wanted me to go away or to study mm. away. And um, on top of that, I was at that time I had lost my grandfather, who was the artist in the family. Wow, um, he's always been a painter. He, you know, I grew up watching him painting murals in the house. He wow. was not a. We would never. We would never talk about art as a profession but him and I always understood that that was just a life practice and you don't you don't necessarily need to you know have a show be in a museum for him and it was just a matter of living life wow so he painted he sculpted he he had a garden he wrote uh he learned English like I I later found out after he died that he was teaching himself English Hmm. Um, and, and this is a very simple, I, I'm very simple man in rural Brazil yeah. who grew up in a farm who was raised by an indigenous woman. And like yeah. he, he very much wanted to learn things throughout his life and he made it so beautifully. So when he died, I kind of had this urge to, in a sense, um, follow through his footsteps and like go explore something beyond what was offered to me. Wow. So would you say that you're actually, you're living in your home and it's, 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 it's very, it's agricultural. It's like a, you consider it a farm, right? Yeah, it's agricultural. We We call it ranches. Like, uh you know, families have little ranches. We all grow our own food. Some people have horses. We, you know, we have some of my family members have like, they raise animals, um, so we always we grew up around this environment, yes. Well, it's interesting because it's it's a it, it, to me it's very unusual. I can't imagine growing up at a home where a grandfather or grandmother does art in the home like that in front of me. I mean, that's a very yeah. that's highly uh, clearly that has a connection to what your life is now, right? I mean, there's some. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I I watch myself doing things sometimes that yeah I grew up doing with him. and around him but yes um and the reason I was able to even leave my town uh uh was because my grandmother his wife paid for me to come here so it was like and it's not like she had any money I mean I don't know you probably don't know this but like also leaving Brazil to go to the U.S. is um you have to get a visa Mm. and it's really difficult for a lot of people to get through and um I even lucked out to get one. I didn't realize I was going to be able to get a visa. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, kind of all lined up to, so I could leave 
um, and I did, and I, I didn't go back to Brazil um, for five years. I, wow. So I couldn't see my so, family so I'm for just, five years. I'm trying to understand the timeline. So what age were you when you came here? What year would that have been? Uh, in the t- uh, I arrived, uh, it was 12 years, uh, 11 years ago. Wow. When did I meet you? So did, yeah, I, did was, I meet you? I, did I, I met you yeah. the, the year after. So you met me the year after you came here. And I, I met you, was it yeah. the, I, did I meet you on the red line or the green line? You met me at the red line. The red but line. we ended up in the green line. <laughs> why, why did we meet? Yeah. What were you carrying that was so important to me? I was reading, I believe, W Magazine. W Magazine. Uh, yep. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And you approached me and we started talking about the article. Yeah, it was. I was trying to learn English at the time. My English was very poor. I don't really? think, I don't know that you remember this. I actually found you, I, I actually had, I felt like I was able to understand you. I know I know you well, didn't I know I, you didn't have a large vocabulary, but I was able at least I was able to understand when you spoke what yeah. you were saying. But go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah. To... So yeah, no, I was teaching myself a lot of the fashion magazines I read at the time was to try to teach myself the language in easy yeah. with an easier vocabulary. Yeah. Um but yeah, we we had coffee after yeah. that, and then our friendship begun. Yeah, yeah, it's really remarkable, and I guess that's. I mean, I I think I may have met Amy Berkowitz separately though, independently, because I don't think I I don't think I made the connection clearly. Yeah, it was separately it is separate, but uh, but the thing of it yeah. is, um, I believe you were into certain kind of music. I think you were the one. You actually turned on turned me on to some music I did not know about. Um, mm. I think you were the one that got me to listen to Regina Spector. I think you were the one oh. that taught me about Regina Spector because I don't think I, 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 if I had not met you, I would not have discovered her piano playing and her songwriting. So I think you, yeah. I think you turned me on to the Raindrops album, her first album, I think, and um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and some other things like that. That's great. That is interesting, yeah, and also certain literature, like that- yeah. And you and you got me started in so many films that are now my favorite things to really? watch over and over. Yeah, you introduced me to Persona, which was now it's a major it plays a major role in my life as a film. Wow. Um, Do you want to talk yeah. about that a little bit later about the about your the influence of that film on your work? Um, I mean, we could talk yeah. about it now if you want to, but let's let's do it like a reminder. Let's let's put a yeah. book bookmark on that because that's important. Put a bookmark on that. So yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's an so extra- then I moved. Yeah. So I I when I got to Boston, I had to get a job in order to survive too. Mm-hmm. So I got a job at um, all kinds of gigs, mm-hmm. and the vintage store was one of them. Yeah. Um, which is where we eventually all created a little community. Yeah. And it was my community. Um, yeah. Because yeah, and it took some time, but. So you and you, so so you mm-hmm. you were the person that created that, right? That's really remarkable. I, say I was the person. No, I think it was kind of just everyone was there at the same time, yeah. and we all just came together, happened to be open to creating a community. But you, you um, seem to be somebody who's really good at organizing things. I just remember you seem to have a skill, or you seem to have the ability to sort of well, do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of, I do have as part of my social practice as an artist to bring people together. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, the art magazine that I did in Boston was about that. Uh-huh. It was about, I wanted to introduce the poets to 
the rap musician to the muralist to uh, the musician. Yeah. I wanted everyone to kind of play within the same and hang out in the same room. In the same um, room. So that's that's why you're on Journey of Anesthete. That's the whole point of this podcast. That's the whole yeah. that's the whole damn point of my whole podcast is that what do you say, the poet <laughs> and the hip hop artist and yeah. the DJ and the sculptor yeah. and the playwright yeah, in the in the same I, room. I wanted us to in the same room. Yeah. The same room to be able to have a dialogue and like yeah. think you know, watch like the shift in perspective in everyone's lives. Like now what it, I, social practice has always been my work too. So it's spirit mm-hmm. magazine was yeah. that for me and with that I created a community uh, in Boston for myself too. So of mm-hmm. course it was all it was a mutual it was just perfect timing. I think everyone was ready yeah. to to do the things that we did as, as projects and and then I started working in theater which is really collaborative as well. Yeah. So you get to meet and work with all kinds of people. Uh-huh. Um, and theater is one of my greatest passions it's like very it's it's the kind of work that you have to use your skills but you also have to share one story with everyone else's skills so it's a yeah it's also coming together in that sense Um, so when did you know that you love theater as much as you did or was there a particular production that you were working on at that time where a light bulb went off in your head and you say this is a great this theater is really something that other thing (laughs) My first theater company that hired me um, without me having much of an experience. So they kind of just gave me a shot. Wow. Was Company One. Oh, yeah. I remember Company um, One. I remember this interview very clearly because I was one of the most <laughs> like exciting and I was so nervous uh-huh. to do this interview to be hired. I loved what they were doing, but I didn't really have a way to show them that I had work done in theater. This was, you know, like didn't really grow up around theater. Yeah. Um, and it's, but when I, when their interview happened, I don't know, they, they decided to give me a play to start and I fell completely in love with the collaboration process mm. with creating. It was like the clothes were my painting brushes wow. and I could just create a scene out of that. Um, so what were some of the productions you worked on? I know, did you do far away or no? No, I didn't do Far Away. Well, I have to. I have to go back to the list. I did the flick. The flick, yeah. I did How We Got On. Which How We Got really On. I love that play. On. Absolutely love that, that play. Yeah, I think I brought I brought you to the opening of that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, you... and then and then from theater, I, it led me to other things to film and performance arts. And mm-hmm. I I'm a performance artist. Yeah, I would say. But you know, primarily what I've been doing with my work because it combines all these skills that I've I've been just um, learning, and then the performance aspect is um, very important to me too. So I, I I create now spaces where it is a bit like theater, but it isn't. It is a, it is a bit like performance, but it isn't. It mm. is a bit like installation. Uh-huh. But it's not just that. So it, it's a walking through time hmm. uh, experience. Um, but we can talk about that a little later, too. I'm being sidetracked here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I moved to L.A., which was yeah. only, was it five years ago? Yeah. Five years ago. Yeah, I've been here for five years. 
Uh huh. Well, welcome and, to welcome to LA. Yeah, thank you. Do you know? Well, do you know? Do you know that? that do you know? Uh, I'm sorry. Do you know that film by Alan Rudolph? Welcome to LA. With Harvey Keitel. I know the film. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm sure. I, I know why you're bringing this film up too. <laughs> why? Because it was made in the '70s, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah. <laughs> well, what is so? What are your what are your feelings? Because I know that when you're in Boston, you had a lot of feelings about living in this strange country, in the United States, and living yeah. in Massachusetts, where it's very different than some other part of the United States. So yeah. what were your changes and feelings living in Massachusetts versus California? And then, of course, there's this whole other issue of, of immigration and, go, and mm-hmm. coming to this country. Um, uh, uh, there's a lot there to, to, to talk, talk about. Uh, what comes to your mind or what comes to your, um, your consciousness well, about doing that? Um, it's, it kind of shifted, right, when the... When I moved to LA, we also was around the same time where um, there was this very conservative side of the country taking over, and um, it was. It, it, so I, I can maybe describe this in two parts. So when I moved to Boston, I was leaving a country that to me um, was not democratic. That was extremely oppressive. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I described this childhood with art that I told you, it was also mm-hmm. really dark, politically yeah. speaking, really dark. Um, mm-hmm. And social dynamics, and like my family, you know, could never just dream a little bigger because it wasn't really a possibility. Mm. Um, so moving to the United States, for me, it was also a way to shift that mentality a little bit for myself, where I could maybe make something better of my life. Hmm. Um, so I trusted this place, like mm-hmm. in the sense that I felt like of all the places in the world that I could end mm-hmm. up, um, this is a place where it's still people come here, I think to try and have a better life. Yeah. Um, which is, it's an interesting common thread between yeah. all immigrants. Like sure. we're all kind of. For different reasons, we leave our country, but we kind of come here thinking this this could be better. Mm. Um, so, in that sense, I had high hopes. I was also in my early twenties, a bit mm-hmm. more naive than I am now about the world. So, I kind of grew up in that environment in Boston, and I was lucky to have really good people around me. Mm-hmm. So, I never felt, you know, because I'm Latina from Brazil, like I never felt necessarily an opposition to my presence, but yeah. yeah, um, So you're saying that the experience, uh, was, was more positive at that time. And you're saying, and you're saying that your age had something to do with it. You're saying you, you're, were, we use the word naive. Is that the word you used? Oh yeah. Naive. So what is, what is the word? What is the word? Uh huh. Um, and trying to understand what, what the consequences would be by moving away. Like I, you know, I knew I had to leave, but, um, but I was also not totally thinking about the consequences of that. Um, cause uh-huh. I think if I thought about it too much, I wouldn't have left. 
If you, um, if you thought about what too much, you wouldn't have come to the U.S. at all. I'm trying to understand. You would have. Well, if I if I had in my if I had back then, I believe thought through all the consequences of being an immigrant in the world. Like maybe, and that, and the reason I'm saying this is because I I, you know, taking that risk was really was really difficult, but it was completely necessary for my life too, and I don't mm. regret at all okay. one bit. Oh. Um. Uh, I have no, yeah, I feel like I did what I had to do. Well, I'm well, I, I, speaking for myself. I'm happy you're in your your neighbor. Your, your, I mean, you're not you're far away. You're in California, but I'm, I'm happy that you're that you're here. You know, but um, thank you. But uh, you know, but <laughs> yeah. it, it's more and complicated then, than that because it's a very it's a very um, it's a very difficult yeah. issue. I think it's a difficult issue when people make decisions like that because yeah. uh, they're being tugged this way and that, and they can see a lot of different sides. And I and I and I guess yeah. you were you had that right. You could see a lot of different sides, and you were. Yeah, getting... you have a bit more, you know, a little perspective too. Coming from a third world country to a first world country, like just the idea of having um, safe places was also really interesting to me. Like there were different concepts and access to not to knowledge here mm-hmm. was not um, kept from. The general public. I in Brazil, there's a um, you know culture and knowledge, even like education. Culture and education are very elitist. Um, and when I moved here, I, I sensed um, that it wasn't like that. That I could be and I was welcomed in places that I didn't quite belong. And you know, this could be a whole side conversation because yeah. it, 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 but um, when you, when you say, I'm in retrospect, that's what I, that's what I was feeling. Now that I look back, uh-huh. I know that, you know, the 20, the 20 year old girl, Amanda moving to Boston was, was thinking in those terms. I also didn't speak English really well. Uh-huh. So I became more of an observer of life and mm. I didn't talk very much. I, I went from being an extrovert to an introvert Oh, uh, my personality completely shifted in that wow. sense. That was like something, it, something new was growing in me, and I didn't know mm. necessarily how to put words to it. So I, I was very quiet for for a long period of time. This is one of the um, most interesting things I have heard in a long time. I'm, I, I, <laughs> I love all the guests on my show, but every guest I have, <laughs> I every guest I, I have on my show, I always learn so much from them. And this is yeah. this is fascinating to me because you're, what you're actually saying is that the country you were living in altered your personality, or or that you were saying you were more extroverted when you were in Brazil, yeah. and you're saying yeah. that you became more of an what was it, an observer or more introverted? Yeah, like a voyeur of my own reality because I could not put the language to the what I was watching and to what I was huh. seeing. You know, an English language failed me, and I mm. when you when you don't have the language to something, to a concept, mm. to an object, your world is, um, you know, you're a bit of you're a bit at a loss there, huh. um, and you do become introspective. I believe I was very much in my own, you know, trying to learn all these things, and sometimes by learning you mimic things. Uh-huh. You know, you kind of it's it's the idea of like fake until you make it. Like, you know, get into yeah. a room, you don't know how to say hi and continue the conversation, but maybe figure out a way to communicate that doesn't need language. Um, so all these things 
were bombarding me all along. And this was my environment constantly yeah. for a few years. I mean, in, in, an odd, and, in, in an odd sort of way, I can really relate to this uh, being on the autism spectrum, you know, because of my Asperger's. Yeah. Because the thing, thing mm-hmm. about me having that as a diagnosis is that actually everyday life is already that way. Right. In other words, whether I'm an immigrant or not, I see everything. I don't, I don't want to say I see everything as a voyeur, but I'm, we're always outside of everything that happens. Friends, loved ones, yeah. acquaintances. And so that's a, that, I'm very well acquainted with what you're describing. But I just I just yeah. take that as a given of what it is to be alive, <laughs> which you know that's, yeah. that's kind yeah. of a tricky tricky issue. But um, it is it is it's yeah. also yeah it's also that yeah yeah um and and there's something to be said about you know the night I I I think that word naive is mm-hmm. sometimes has a bad connotation mm-hmm. um but I think you know when you think of a child like naivete like mm-hmm. there's something really something to learn from that throughout oh, yeah. your entire life. Um, mm-hmm. I really hope that I can always keep that sense of naivete and curiosity yeah. about the world. I, I um, think, I think if the world tries to kill that or disparage that, um, I think the world is wrong when the world tries to do that. That's actually a mistake. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm actually in agreement with you. That aspect of reality is very important. It's very important that people cultivate that thing we're describing because it's actually that quality that actually might make us be better or act better in the world. And, you know, you don't want to, people don't want to do the wrong thing. They want to do the right thing, you know, and so to to put it in a simple way. So in a way that's, you know, there's something to be said for that, those, that quality. Yeah. 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 And it's in, in moving when you when you ask like the difference between Massachusetts and California. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it felt like it felt like going to a different country. <laughs> wow, what was the so what was the first what was the first thing that struck you? I mean, that's that's pretty different. That's like two countries in one in one country. What was the first thing that struck? I mean, you? the language was the same, uh-huh. but um, yeah, uh, I guess I. It was, I mean, the geography is number one. Things mm-hmm. here are very spaced out. Um, it takes time to get anywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's very isolating. It's like mm-hmm. if you are, if you're good at being alone, you love LA. But then, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's a very isolating city, just because based yeah. on the size, uh, how the culture functions here, and all different parts. And you know, mm-hmm. um, there are different centers. It's not just one. And I moved, so I moved from like you know, the, the, this little village to Boston, which felt like a big city for me. Boston mm-hmm. was my first city, um, and then to Los Angeles. It was almost, it was, I, I guess, it was kind of just growing mm-hmm. <laughs> in size. Um, but it, here, it reminded me a little more also of um, a little bit of the landscape of where I grew up. Interesting. Interesting. Um, except it's not a desert where I grew up, but it has, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, it's a city surrounded by green. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the mountains, the ocean, mm-hmm. everything here is accessible by one hour and you can 
kind of get into a whole different landscape. That was really inspiring to me. Well, it's, um, it's it, your, your, inner, your inner work and your outer work, I guess, are connected, right? And so you're starting to change the artwork you're doing. Am I right? Oh, you're starting. So, yeah, so I know that you were doing, exactly. doing costumes and wardrobe, but now you're doing uh, site-specific installation art or performance. Yeah. And performance is clearly different, of course, than being in a room and sewing or, or, or drawing a costume or trying on a costume. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you became, went, entered the performance? Uh, yeah. So I guess I was always interested in, in that practice in theater because mm-hmm. it's, it's how I, you know, I, I went, I started in theater through the back door mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and costume was just something I had the skills for. I could, so I could figure out how to make something. Mm-hmm. And, um, but slowly you start you as a costume designer, you work directly with actors and performers. Mm-hmm. You're learning from them, and they're they're also helping you guide the character, and so it's this this collaboration that I felt really connected to. Um, although I did, I don't think I, I have the skills to be an actor. I I do love the idea of using my body as to tell a story, mm-hmm. and in whatever way that means. Um, and so that's when something kind of sparkled and it was the theater, theater world. And I moved to LA, the theater uh, practice kind of, well, I, I did some theater here as well, but not, not to an extent that I was doing in Boston because here it's a little bit different. The entertainment industry mm-hmm. um, is a little different. Uh, it's very film focused, I guess, TV focused. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I got a studio, which was also a huge, shift for me and never had space to quite do the work that I wanted to do. I always did work in, in residential spaces or my kitchen or yeah. Well, that's important. Um, I'm happy you got that space because God, without that, yeah, you can really, that's that's the best news. Yeah. That's the best news because it, you know, (laughs) because you gotta, you gotta have that. No, you gotta have that. And in LA, gave me the opportunity for that. So wow. it was really nice to also be yeah. in a city that has, that makes that possible. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I could afford a space to just work and, and that's what happened. And then things were slowly changing. I still do costumes, um, per pro- like in certain projects, but, Hello. But uh, so I created the whole costume piece for the for this reception, mm-hmm. and we just lost a little conne- connection there. So I want to make sure that we can hear each other. And, um, oh you, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you still and do then, you still you do costumes, but I what what I what I'm curious about because I don't fully understand it is discovering Igmar Bergman's persona. Mm-hmm. So you discovered a film like that, and then you start doing your own performance, yeah. which is site specific, right? Do Do you mind talking? Yeah, do you mind talking a little bit yeah. about about what these things mean? So, is there a connection between the Igmar Bergman and the performance and the site specific or site specificity? Wow, well, um, nobody's ever asked me that question, but I now you made me think about this. 
um, as a connection. I, well, yeah, the film made an impression on me in a way that I, I hadn't really watched a film like that in my life. Um, and I didn't even know films like that were made, um, uh-huh. or could be made. Uh-huh. It's so much about the subconscious that he's telling and, and but he's able to show you that in visual form. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what I was in love with. Is like when when filmmakers or any any artist, like for that matter, are able to give you the visual story of something that you don't know how to put words to yet. Um, like it comes back to like just to comes back to like the beginning of language for me too. Like mm-hmm. what we're, when we're talking about you know this this sense of exploring a new world and changing personality. I think when a narrative like persona exists, like you start seeing things from different, that's what, that's how I felt. Like I started to observe storytelling from different angles and what that meant to me, I guess it was more of an impact than I realized at the, at the time. Um, does that answer your question or? Uh, well, it, it does help. I mean, I, I guess what I'm wondering is, uh, <laughs> I guess what I'm wondering is, um, is there a way that you could talk about your performance practice or this, or the, yeah. what I call the site specificity or, or, yeah, or, or were that, or were that, mm-hmm. I can walk you through my process and like how this starts. Normally if I, I, I write a lot about, um, dreams and narratives and stories that I might want some to someday put it down into words and create an essay. Um, I write short essays quite often as an exercise to tell stories. Mm-hmm. Um, after the writing, I usually turn, go to the studio and turn um, to material, and I start to explore ideas of what material looks like mm-hmm. with the story. Um, and then in performance, what happens is um, this: what I'm doing in the studio sometimes triggers an idea and that I sometimes like find a space that sometimes triggers an idea. But, um, to be honest with you, I usually know what, what I'm doing. If I find this, the right space, mm-hmm. it's when I'm walking, let's say I'm walking to a theater and mm-hmm. I, I, I can see the performance happening my in front of my eyes. Oh, like so, this, so you actually this, see this, the whole, the whole performance unfold like that in your, in your mind's eye. Is that what, what it is? Yeah, I kind oh, of watch it. Unfold. I mean, at least I have, at least I get an overall idea of what this space means. So it starts with that. Um, so I visited, for I'll give you an example, like I visited this um, dairy farm in Joshua Tree. Wow. Recently, I was invited by a couple of artists who um, had already given me space to do a performance here in LA, but they got this place in Joshua Tree and in that. They wanted me to come see it. And then there was this cottage house that had been blown by, I guess, the winds wow. through a storm. Um, and the house was just standing there, wow. like two on the brink of falling. Um, wow. Obviously kind of dangerous to walk wow. in, but it was sturdy enough to last maybe another year. Wow. Um, so I, at that time, I was working on a project, and I still am, called Memory House. Oh, wow. Which which was about uh, finding finding your space within a home, but what home means to you 
and I had just lost my home in Brazil mm. that during that time, and I couldn't never quite find a home within this country either as a, a place I could call like you know my home. Mm. Um, so I created this project to give me a home, mm. um, and so I find locations that kind of speak to the idea of this narrative of being between worlds and um, mm. and who owns our memories mm. and and then this the space kind of transform into an installation and the installation show and then I perform inside the installation. So I basically set the stage. I find the stage, I set the stage and then I perform on the stage. Mm-hmm. And the time and the time frame of the performance varies. It's often very long. It's often two at least two days. Sometimes more. I've performed for three weeks before. Um it's durational because right. I'm it's I, I truly am embodying the space and wow. what it means to be in a new home. Um, so when you say it's durational, that you know that when I was growing up uh, in New York, in especially in the nineteen seventies, there mm-hmm. were there were artists doing work similar to that, or some of the first people to do what we call durational uh, okay. artworks, where people would temporarily live as part of the um, part of the okay. piece. Uh, and you're, you're, do you see yourself as part, kind of part of that tradition, or is that influencing um, some of the things you're doing? Or, um, yeah, I mean, I do. It's funny because I never, I never came to performance from knowing performance art necessarily. Uh-huh. Um, but I, it's through friends. Like in particular, I have a friend, my friend Autumn, uh-huh. who's a performance artist in Boston definitely helped me explore the idea of what that meant um, mm-hmm. long-term. And, but I didn't study, I didn't have an education in art, in fine art. So, yeah. so much of what I do is just from knowing and the experience of doing it. Wow. Um, I do, now that I'm a bit older, I like living in Los Angeles, I'm interested in knowing a little more about the history mm-hmm. and who was doing what. And yeah. But so much of my practice, Mitch, is like I'm inspired by a multitude of artists, but mm-hmm. I'm so inspired by writers for the most part. Like I, I look, I look to artists for, mm-hmm. for like inspiration. Absolutely. I look for, I'm sorry, I look for writers. For writers. Um, so you so you really like, you like the art of prose and you, you actually, so that's interesting yeah, because you, yeah. you, you said that you can. I do visual from a different angle. I guess wow. like that's what, yeah, that's huh. what I'm looking at as a practice. Um. So, in film as well, of course. There's, so there's something there. Too. What is what is some of the books that you have really? So you're saying inspired by prose, uh, prose impacting mm-hmm. your feeling about being in a location. What's an example of that? Well, one of the, and this is a very visual book for me, because um, I think it's every story she tells is a performance, mm-hmm. uh, is Le- Leonora Carrington's stories. Mm-hmm. Do you know her work? She lived in Mexico for a while. Actually, she moved her career. Uh-huh. Um, she was, um, I guess, early, yeah, early century and... She was British-born, mm-hmm. moved to Mexico, and started to paint and write. And she also had some, from what we would believe, was mental health issues. Yeah. Um, 
who knows what that looked like at the time, but mm. um, she lived pretty much alone mm-hmm. throughout her life and, and wrote the stories. Um, some of them, people say they were written from a sanatorium when she was there. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are little short stories about um, being in your own body and what that meant to be oh. in your own body and like oh. what, how people perceive you wow. and how you perceive other people. Um, and her paintings kind of talk about the same. I, yeah, definitely look at her work as a painter. They are narratives in them, in, you know, in themselves too. Um, and kind of dark ones, but funny. She has a sense of humor about mm-hmm. the world. And that was a book that really, it was her book of uh, short essays. Wow. Um, it really got me. If you if you had interested. to if you had to recommend a particular title for the audience, what would be what would you uh, uh, recommend they go to? Um, to read? If you've never read her before, I would go with the complete stories um, of Leonora Carrington. It's a compilation of just mm-hmm. some of her main short stories. Mm-hmm. Um, a great it's a great little pocketbook. Yeah. Um, yeah. Start, I would start with that. Okay. That's how I started, I guess. So I'm, <laughs> that's the first book I read. Well, we, yeah. we, we have a lot to talk about because we have to talk about Aeneas Nin and Henry Miller, right? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how do you want to go well, I don't know. It just seems like, a, it seems like you're able to see landscapes, but you also are a word person. You're also a word person because you're. Because you're how did you come? To, how did you come to live in Aeneas Nin's house? Or talk, talk about that. Oh, well, I didn't know. First of all, I didn't know I moved into an Aeneas former home. Um, <laughs> wow. I, I didn't. I so I, I'll track back a little bit. Aeneas Nin kind of it, it is one of the, my major influences too as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I I always kept a diary. I've always yep. had my own journaling practice mm-hmm. and. When I moved to the States, I there was this used bookstore called Laura Nipson down down the street from my apartment. I love that bookstore. And there was a window dis- I love, oh, I I love know, that place oh, too. Such a good yeah. bookstore. And That's there was a, a window other. display mm-hmm. and the Anaismin diary number four was on the window display. Mm-hmm. And then I, I I needed a book to kind of practice English and I was I thought that a di- I didn't know who this writer was, mm-hmm. but I was she, the cover looked great <laughs> at mm. the time. I was 20. Um, never quite read. Uh, I grew up with Portuguese, Spanish literature. I never, mm. had never quite got into English literature. So this was the beginning for me of all of this. Yeah. Um, so I picked up her diary, fell in love with it, started to dig in about what, who this woman was and what, what else she wrote. But I wasn't a good reader then because English was still very difficult. Mm. Um, the diaries were easy for me to read because they were, even though she's very, she's still very eloquent in her diaries, mm. it's a bit more personal. Right. So I could relate to them as a, because of my hard time with the language. Mm. I could relate to them a little more. Um, and that's kind of, so that was the first few years. And then Amanda Duguay actually, we mentioned her earlier, mm-hmm. one of the Amandas. In the in the group, yeah. she um, she gave me a box 
when she cleared out her her books, mm. she's like, "Oh, here's a box for you of uh, books I think you should read." Yeah, and it was a whole stack of announcement oh, books, wow. um, which I <laughs> yeah I still have all of them. I brought them with me. That's great. And and then just in different times, like I she would come up. It's really, it's really, it's really, it's really good when you have a good friend that wants you to read, that wants you to read something really good rather than something not so good. That's really, uh, (laughs) yeah, I guess you have to thank her for that because she got you into something. Absolutely. um, I definitely owe, I owe a lot of the people around me for these magical moments. Yeah. Yeah. And then. From from that, so I moved to LA. I started working. I started working at a um, at a language company to teach Portuguese wow. uh, as you know as a second language in a, in in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the things I still do. I teach Portuguese. Wow. And the the school I went for an interview. The school is a language school, and it's a small school. They do you know mostly tutoring, contract work. I walked in, and in their office. There's an entire bookshelf of all Anaismen's books. <laughs> so what, 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 is that, what does that all, tell all the books you? On the shelf. What does that tell you? You you're, keep running into the same author. In, in different languages. Yeah, it was like a book. I asked the person in yep. the room, and he was like, I was like, what? How do you have? Uh, it was you know Anaismen in Japan, and I, and I well, it was like just the, travel the, the, the world. The universe is sending you a message. You have to do something with an Anaismen. <laughs> That's all I can tell that you. The guy, yeah. no, I know. And then the yeah. guy there at the office was like, "Well, um, I I inherited all of this. Someone was a wow. collector, so he was like, you can borrow one if you want.' Um, mm-hmm. So that that was like first moving into LA, my mm-hmm. first year here, and then. I kept on digging more into her work, but I quite never, you know, it just, it was just this presence came mm-hmm. out. Um, and then last year, I found this little cottage house in, uh, in, uh, in Los Angeles, like mm-hmm. a little bit more east of downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really, it wasn't really for rent at the time, but I met the landlord on a hike um, on New Year's Day. Me and my husband were walking in the neighborhood looking for a place. We've been hiking in the area, and we oh. fell in love with this area about a year ago, yeah. um, a year before. And we meet this, you know, this gentleman. He shows us around. Um, he then invites us over to his cottage where he was about to move in three months. So he asked if we would be interested. Hmm. Um, so it wasn't. It was very. <laughs> Also, finding the house was very strange. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't believe it for a while. I thought it was a, you know, a scam. <laughs> huh. We move. We move in April first. You said you thought it was a scam. You didn't believe. You didn't. No, I mean, just yeah. it's a joke. But yeah. it just felt too good to be true. Too good to be true. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah too good to be true. The kind of space and yeah. what it was. It was a kind of a perfect place for us. Wow. Um, and in nature, we had... Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so that was it. We, I moved in April 1st, and I start painting the walls inside. And um, I spent about a week here painting, getting ready for it to move in. And, and it, it got 
I got curious about the place. I started to want to know more what this place is and what it was um, back in the day because it was built in the um, early century. So I wanted to, you know, I'm interested in, I guess, in the history of the property. And mm-hmm. in looking into it, I found out that Anaisman lived here with her fourth ranger husband at the time, mm-hmm. Rupert Pohl. And um, at the time, she was living a bigamous life. So she was going between Sierra Madre and um, New York City. I know. She was, she was, she was a very free person. Um, so so you're yeah, saying she had more than one more than very, one husband, right? So did she? She was bigamous. Yeah. So she did she have very, a husband? So she. Cute, yeah. So there was one husband who was a forest ranger, and that was in California, right? In this in this house in California. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, because this was the I guess the for the forestry the house department. Uh-huh. So they lived here, and the forest rangers were put here to to be close to the mountain, wow. you know, in case of an emergency. Uh-huh. And she lived here with him during that time, which yeah. was early early fifties. Yeah. Um, through late fifties uh, until they moved to their their home in Silver Lake. Mm. Yeah. Well, well, she stayed in California. So even though she moved from there to Civil Lake, she seems to want to be in, want to be in California, like you want to be in, in, in Los Angeles, California. So yeah. Yeah, I guess for her, I don't know if she loved California all that much. To be honest, knowing oh. what she was saying about the area, she was here because of Paul. Ah, oh, I see. Um, her work, her work with New York. Uh, mm. She felt like that's where she had. Um, her connections because mm-hmm. California was new to her and because mm-hmm. she lived in a place that was it is isolating it's a bit like mm-hmm. and because again I, Los Angeles is a very different type of city to navigate as work with work mm-hmm. it's really isolating there's you know it's a hard it takes longer to go anywhere so it mm-hmm. takes longer to meet anyone <laughs> wow. um, so she also here her world was Robert Pohl and the Lloyd Wright family, because Paul's um, Paul's uh, stepfather was Frank Lloyd Wright's son, so mm-hmm. they hang out with you know. Although they had a hard time getting to like each other, a naive mm-hmm. and them. But um, so yeah, homeworld was kind of mm-hmm. about him and his family here. And she had some friends. Eventually, I guess Henry Miller lived here at the same time as well. Yeah. He was living in Hollywood, I believe. Yeah, I, or, I, big, I, or Big Sur. Big Sur is where he liked to be, I guess. Big Sur, yeah. Big Sur, which I, I've never so, seen before. I'd love to visit Big Sur. It's one of the places I've never, I've never been. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Wow, you've been there. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I now I'm working on. So I found out the house and I looked into it. I contacted a few people, went to the library. I was, I, I don't know. I was astounded. I couldn't believe it. Mm. <laughs> I just couldn't understand what was happening. Why of all the places in the world, I don't know. I was, um, yeah, I felt like I needed to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And I started to look into it. I contacted a historian. Someone wrote a book about Sierra Madre, and one of the pages she talks about a nice living here, but it's a very short like essay on that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I contacted her. She got back to me. And we got to know each other, you know, having coffee. And she kind of, she introduced me, you know, introduced me to this, a little bit of the history of this city, this town. Um, and it's helping me navigate, like, this, the research process as mm-hmm. well. But, um, so after meeting her, I was uh, encouraged by her to contact the Anaisnin's um, archives mm-hmm. and tell my story and ask them if I could um, have access to her original manuscripts. Oh, wow. Uh, because I found out that they live uh, at, in Los Angeles and UCLA actually owned them. Mm. So they got back to me and they were very lovely and they gave me, you know, they helped me through the process and they put me in touch with the library, the special collections, special collections library, because the manuscripts come from an offsite location. I would have to reserve them and make appointments and all that. And, um, so he guided me through this and now, so now I'm, I'm going to the light to the library every week and I'm going through 58 boxes of her work of wow. letters of, you know, notes and of you're still, the, the you're real st- diaries. I mean, I'm wow. touching the diaries, which is bizarre. It's all handwritten. She didn't wow. type them. She wrote, she wrote by her handwriting is phenomenal. Oh yeah. I'm I'm loving. Yes. I can send you, I'll send you a picture. Oh yeah, please do. I mean, I, I, I have to say, so I guess there's a lot. There's a lot to talk about there. We don't have all the time to get into all that, but we don't. No, I, ge- we I don't, guess. Yeah. I guess the thing of it is, is that when you're seeing somebody, you're basically seeing the inner workings of her mind, or at least what she put on paper. It, uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Huh. Yeah, and and I'm also you know looking at her writing, which is so special mm-hmm. for I think you know as a writer yourself, or as like I don't know most. People I know who are writers, they like reading something handwritten is something. Oh yeah, something there. Like it's a, it, it becomes, a, it's a person on the paper, hmm. a visual thing too, a visual memory for me. Um. So, yeah, it's it's really intense to go through all of this, and so I'm slowly now, you know, going through the boxes. Wow. And there are tapes, uh, so there are tapes being digitized and conversations mm. and. She had this great conversation with Judy Chicago in 1972. Which, oh, um, well, we'll slow down. It's, with, a, it's a big deal to me. Oh, because yeah. As you know, I'm, I'm, a, you love, I'm a big Judy yeah. Chicago fan. That's a whole other, oh, another, yeah. I, I know, yeah. yeah. So Judy Chicago at the time was 36 years old wow. and interviewed a nice man uh-huh. who was 69. She was 69 yeah. at the time. And um, they have this whole conversation yeah. about uh, women's anger and uh-huh. how to deal with anger and oh my god Mitch I was I couldn't wow. believe this is this should be like played in every institution wow. everywhere <laughs> um, so you're you're encountering so any, all this right now I guess as as we I'm doing this now wow. so yeah, this is like yesterday like yesterday I spent all day at the special collections library going through correspondences so letters she wrote to people and she received and wow. she saved every Thing. She saved, I feel like, a bit of an obsession, I guess, but she saved every piece of paper yeah. she ever wrote on. And then she saved all of her rejection letters from oh, that's publication. Great. That's fantastic. Publishers. So I've been, I've been reading some of the rejection letters. That, oh, wow. Wow. 
yeah, and the things they would say, you know, to, uh, yeah, it's very, it's fascinating. I'm in a black hole at the moment. I yeah. don't know what to tell you in regards to, yeah. like, what this is going to look like. Um, well, I, I know that you're... I know that your recent work has been uh, durational. So you were at Joshua Tree. Mm-hmm. Um, is your is this work going to be durational? The thing that comes out of this, or do you know yet? Is it going to be um, something where it's on on a site? Um, yeah, I mean, if if anything, it will probably be durational because just how. I feel it going mm-hmm. like it's just it is already durational. It right. is already taking my like ten years of my life in, into perspective. Wow. Um, so I'm huh. very much like yeah. I don't know yet where it would be if it would be in the house if it would be something that I show somewhere else. But yeah. Um, I think it's too soon yet to decide or to make assumptions. But. Yeah, I'm so ha- I'm so happy I'm so happy that Anais Nin didn't throw that stuff away and she saved it. There's a oh, there's a there's a kind of intelligence that there. Um, yeah, I mean I'm not somebody I'm never anybody to give advice or tell anybody what to do. And I know that I know that there are people that should throw things out that they save. But um, mm-hmm. this is a case where she knew what she was doing. I mean she had, uh, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. She she did. She, she, you know, in a way, she was a very highly skilled manipulator. Oh. You can also say that because there's aspects of her life she wanted to very much manicure yeah. um, that would fit her lifestyle. So mm-hmm. it is a privilege to be able to do that. And she was only able to do that because she was privileged. Interesting. Um, so that's also it's something interesting. I'm learning to read, you know, because it is someone I admire, but I also want to take into perspective what allowed her to do what she did uh-huh. in the way that she did it. Um, and then, so when so, you when you make that statement about about her, is that a, is that a function of your politics, or do you feel that it's separate from your or more foundational than your politics? I think it's a little more foundational than yeah. politics. Yeah. It has to do with like access to, you know, just making making access. Um, yeah. I guess I don't know how else to describe it, but yeah. Um, uh-huh. And I, one of the things I, I admire in her that I I still don't think we see enough in the world is, or we read enough, or we watch enough of this, is her sincerity in being sometimes a horrible person. Um, she understands her complexities. Mm-hmm. She understands her, the ways she's good about going in the world and treating other people, but she also understands the bad that comes with it. And mm-hmm. she talks about it and regurgitates and like mm-hmm. watches herself being bad and then mm-hmm. talks about it and <laughs> analyze it. Well, it's so it's interesting. I, do, I, I, hear I do that, not see enough of that. I mean, I hear that you're laughing, but I mean, you you know her much more in, intimately than I do, because you're you're mm-hmm. researching this figure. Um, yeah. So, are you talking about? So, you're saying that she she gave a record of her second thoughts about having been more honest than usual at a certain instance? Or, yeah, she gave uh, a record of that. Oh yeah. wow! I mean, she she gave a record of her feelings about being bigamous and being untrustworthy and being 
you know, someone who could be playing too too far with people's feelings. She uh-huh. talked about this constantly, um, constantly. constantly. Uh, it was very, it was almost a bit like it was too much for her sometimes yeah. to handle. She she was often overwhelmed and stressed and like didn't know exactly how to act next. Um, it I felt mean, like I, I, part, in, part parts of the diary feel frantic. Like she is a little desperate in what to do. Wow. Doesn't know what to do. Um, which is pretty real. I mean, she was very real. I mean, I have to, I have to um, be honest with the, 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 the listeners here. I'm, I'm full disclosure. I'm fairly radical about some of these aspects of life rather than conservative or moderate. Um, if we're talking, particularly mm-hmm. we're talking about sort of love life, personal life. Uh, my ideas tend more towards the radical side than the not. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I would be bothered maybe perhaps by these, by what she, you know what I mean? I would, I would maybe, I'm, yeah. I'm worried, yeah. I would maybe kind of open to some. I, I don't, I, I don't think he would be either. I think, you know, and I'm, I'm not either. I'm I, because again, I feel like I'm open to her interpretation of what it means to be human. Right. Um, for her, you know, this was her way and she kind of figured out and she, she felt like mm-hmm. she was being herself, except this, the, the social environment didn't quite allow her to be herself yeah, all bet. the time. Oh yeah. You know, you can't be, you can't be open about being bigamous. Yeah. Um, so she was hiding. She had to lie. She mm-hmm. had to make up all kinds of stories in yeah. order to navigate this bigamy. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was more like the social, pressure and what mm-hmm. it means to do the things you want to do. Um, I mean, you could, you could almost say she was just trying to live a life, not that different than Henry Miller, her older, um, exactly, her, her old but lover but, is, was a man. And yeah. But it's, 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 it's okay it. if he does it, but if she does it, you know, it's like, it's like, right. yeah, that kind of, um, so she, well, was, yeah. I mean, it's the same with their writing, right? She was writing, it was a confessional type of writing. That's right. But she was considered, immature um and Henry Miller did the same thing he wrote confessional yeah almost like you know confessional diaristic style as well totally, but totally. he was treated like he was coming up with something completely new yeah and it, and it mm-hmm. wasn't yep. um but and honestly if I'm going to be honest with you I think she was doing it better but yeah. um just Oh, if, if, if we're comparing, yeah, I mean, if, yeah. We're, if we're comparing, I mean, I'm not afraid of making evaluations on the show. If we're comparing, yeah, you and that. I, you and I agree. I, I mean, if we're comparing them as writers, I think she might be the, the stronger writer. Uh, at least yeah. I like her. I like her more than him, but that's, you know, right. Yeah. But that's personal preference. And, and, I mean, that's, yeah. And, and that's also, you know, it, it plays a role in like the society that they were, they were in, you know, back in yeah. the 40s and 50s, it was more difficult than it is now to be published as a female writer. Uh-huh. Of course, women weren't really treated in the way that they were even considered for anything that was like worthy look being looked at or talked about. Like there was, you know, they, were, they had a much harder time. I don't, it hasn't gone like, it's not great. It hasn't like, yeah. we're not really equal. We're far from equal, but, because women are still treated like second-class citizens, but we, uh, at least there's there's more in the world that we can relate to. There's mm-hmm. more in the world that I can look up and, like, you know, I want to learn about another female artist that yeah. 
made it happen for herself. So I think for her too, it was harder because a lot of like role models were male mm. um, in her life. Yeah. And that played a, a large role in her work as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's all really interesting to me because this project started out with, the, you know, coming from the angle of memory and being in the house and mm. having her memory through my life. But it's mm. also giving me so much of the feminist history and yeah. the struggles that she struggled with, with all the rejection, with all mm. the punishment for just talking her mind and being a woman. And mm-hmm. um, so that was, you know, her process of dealing with that was through writing. Um, but it, so that part also is a, is really interesting to me right now. Um, just this generation, the cyclical generation thing with feminism and what mm-hmm. it means to be, you know, femme. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad and we're talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, Sorry. I'm gl- I'm glad we're talking at such length about N- Anais Nen because um, you know, I think she's a major figure, and and, and I and I am, mm-hmm. I'm happy that you you're doing this now. Um, mm-hmm. Is there um, other things like our listeners listening may want to know when they can experience your performance or when that when that is or when that happens? Are there are there locations okay. or places that you can tell people that? Um... Yeah, at the moment, I don't have a date. Uh, I do have some projects brewing, but I, I have a website uh, which you can where Link to. I I share my work okay. and also give dates. And I have an Instagram account where I post about shows and upcoming performances. So yeah, it's my full name. At AmandaMasantunis.com. Uh, That's the where you get the info. Well, we're going to make sure to link to that. It's really important because mm-hmm. I, I want people to be able to experience at least, maybe not actually physically there, but get a sense of what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. Because that's the only way to really uh, begin to approach it. You know, is to have a yeah. experience of it, a familiarity with it. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about that comes to mind, either on this or any other subject? Uh, uh. I just want to say that, like, this is this has been great, and I I feel like every conversation we've had has been always so up, like such a, a learning experience for myself as well. So I really appreciate our, our conversations. I guess it always opens up like a another door to think about something else for some reason. Mm. Like you, you're good at that. <laughs> so thank you. Well, well, thank you for being on this show. I, I really, um, mm-hmm. I think you're the only person we've had on the show thus far that does the kind of work that you're doing. So I think, I mm. think that's exciting. Yeah. Um, is there anything, you know, it's, I think, uh, uh, eventually these shows have to end. So I, I'm asking you again, is there anything else? <laughs> so I want to thank you for being on the show. Um, yeah, thank you. Is there any, anything else before we go? And I say goodbye and uh, I, I guess, I guess um, I should say obrigada, right? Obrigada. Obrigada. Yeah. yeah de nada. <laughs> 
No, Mitch, I think, I mean, we could, we could always keep talking because I love talking to you. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah. Uh, maybe we need chapter two. Yeah, we need chapter two. I'll tell you what, here's a game plan. When you get further into this Aeneas Nin project and you have something mm-hmm. like a date or something associated with it or, or a release, we'll, we will talk then maybe. And we'll, we'll is that, that how does great. that sound? Yeah, yeah. And maybe I can share with you, you know, some of the materials I've been finding. And yeah, absolutely. That would be that would be great. Right. Okay, I wish you uh, more uh, good. I wish you more good fortune in that house and in Los Angeles, which is um, Los Angeles is you. one of my favorite places in the world. Um, it's beautiful, a beautiful and misunderstood and un- underrated city. If that if that makes any sense. And um, yeah, I I agree with you. And um, yeah. Well, thank you. It was great. This episode was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Um, I can't wait. Yep. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.